welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Good morning, Grace. Hey, before I get started, let me just uh, express our heartfelt sadness for the loss of Nelson here at your church. Um, It's a tough time. And our our prayers for comfort and strength go with the family and all of you that knew him and may be responding in in a grief kind of way. That said... Every time I come here, (laughs) it seems like there's a surprise waiting for me of some kind. And for that, I'm very grateful. I love coming to this church every year. Uh, I feel glad that uh, Pastor Paul feels that um, um, I'm somebody that he can trust to have with you guys. And so I'm privileged to be here. And I'm really excited that you guys are doing a whole kind of series on serving God and serving people. Because every year when I come... I always try to reflect back to the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, and mind. And the second is as yourself, right. And so it's no different this year. And I saw it on your door when I walked in, which was great. So we're going to continue on this series of serving God and others and take a look at how to do so during difficult times. Um, And those difficult times can be looked at in different kinds of ways, depending on who you are and what kind of a difficult time you may be going through. Uh, And so we're going to do our best. The big idea goes something like this. You navigate serving God and others effectively during difficult times as you mature in Christ. It's a process. And my hope this morning is that you take away some nugget that you can apply to your life when you're going through difficult times so that you don't um, struggle too much in doing that. So I have a confession to make. My confession is that I hate the time period, and I, I don't use that word lightly, I really don't like the time period between Thanksgiving and New Year's. It's a very difficult time for me. I've always struggled with this time. I tend to turtle up and withdraw. I don't know whether it's because I have no idea. Thank God for Christmas carols because they remind me, okay, there's a good reason for the season. Otherwise, not so much. And um, during this time, I'm still required to carry on, right? I co-direct, celebrate recovery. We can have as many as 70 to 100 people on a, on a, on a Monday night. I direct that with my co-leader, Nan, and a great staff. But that's a responsibility. i got to show up for that. I still got to... Uh, be at my home church, um, pastor of pastoral care and recovery there. And uh, then I am so grateful to have a private practice three and a half days a week. I got to show up for, the, for my clients there. And guess what? I'm still a dad. <laughs> for those of you that think your children are growing up and they're going to fly the coop, they come back. <laughs> so you always a parent. Um, I'm a husband to a wonderful woman who has stuck with me now for 37 years. That's a testament to her, not so much. Um, And I still uh, have friends. I'm still a creative, right? And so i got to show up for these things. I'm still required to some degree to show up on some level 
for each one of these things. And I'll tell you what, it can be difficult. Right? How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Do any of you disconnect like me? You isolate, you find it's hard to stay connected spiritually, relationally, emotionally during tough times? Okay. There's three of us there, there, and that's awesome, and I'll, I'll just, you know, keep talking. <laughs> How are we supposed to serve others when we're down like that? Is it even possible is really the question that I want to ask. I know it's difficult. I think it is possible, but how do we do it? Um, one of the things that I think is important to look at is how we disconnect. I don't know about you, uh, but my mode is to um, do numbers of things. One of them is binge-watching Netflix. Thank God for Netflix, right? Nothing like having eight seasons of Blue Bloods available in one sitting. You know, you, you minus out the commercials, and it's only 45 minutes of the thing, right? And so you can do that all day long. It's terrible. Maybe you disconnect by going to work. Maybe you go to your man cave. Maybe you clean the house. Maybe you overeat. Maybe you watch a lot of TV. We're all subject to doing that to some degree. One reason might be that you just don't feel like you got anything to give. Have you ever felt like just so out of it that when you see somebody coming to ask something of you or make it, you're like, oh, please, you know, I hope they don't see me, right? And you got to go to work, and you know that people are going to want something from you at work, and you're just like, oh, can I, can I call in today and work from home in my pajamas, you know? Can I do that? You just don't feel like you have it to give. You're depleted. That's one of the things that happens to us during difficult times. We withdraw emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and we lose that reservoir of resource that we give out of generally. So we'll call that um, sort of like a depleted sort of capacity. I think that's one of the reasons. Um, I think another thing might be that we start to feel just maybe a little bit bad about ourselves. Um, but before we get into all that, let me just take a quick uh, assessment. This is for you personally to do, right, in your heads. Uh, you don't have to say it out loud. But what is the percentage of positive to negative thoughts that have run around your head in the past week, just the past week? 80-20, 70 90-10, 10-90. Where, where have you been at? Had a crummy week? Everybody got a number in their head? The Percentage of positive to negative thoughts running around in your head. <laughs> this could be good news or bad news for some of us. The, the new, this is what we know. The literature tells us that we have 75,000 thoughts a day. Well, how do they know that? I don't know how they know that. But let's just say that they're even 50% right and maybe even less. And so let's chop it down to 30,000 thoughts a day. If you said you have like 75% positive and 25% negative, that's like a quarter, uh, that's like a 7,000 plus negative thoughts a day you're having. And that can bring you down. Even if you only had 10%, right? It's still thousands of negative thoughts a day. And that can be a drain on you. When you start thinking about negative things, and you start taking in, um, how many of you do this? You think what other people are thinking about you. Oh, boy, I bet they're really thinking I'm a jerk here, you know. Ugh. Or how many of you say, 
I never. I always. Right? You, you, you catastrophize stuff, and it's always. It's never. Really, never? Not even once? Well, maybe once or twice. Right? We got to bring our thinking into line with God. Look, I, I know you can find these kind of answers at a good therapist, but before therapy even existed, there was God, right? And God shows us in his word that we overcome strong feelings of feeling badly about ourselves, disrespect of ourselves, feeling like you're not enough, feeling like the whole world is against you, or feeling like the situation is just too much for you to handle. It could be loss and grief. It could be losing your job. It could be finding out that you have bad health. What do we sing about today, though? We sang that through the storm, he's faithful, right? He still holds us in our hands, and that's where our confidence is born. And so I'd like to suggest that that part of this maturing process in Christ that helps us to navigate difficult times is found in capacity and confidence. And to that end, let me just refer you to two scriptures. One is from Romans chapter 12, and the other one is from James chapter 1. The one in Romans goes like this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And can we all read this part together? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One more time but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Good. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I take away from that is that you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind when you allow the Holy Spirit to get up in there and eradicate and erase and reformat all those negative things that you've always believed about yourself or that you perceive others are feeling about you or that you perceive God is thinking about you. How many times have you been going through a difficult time when you're just convinced God has it in for you? Right? And it makes it really difficult to stay connected to this powerful being that you think really wants to chop you off at the knees. But once you start transforming and renewing your mind, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And we sang it again this morning. He's the giver of all good and perfect gifts. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we come back to that place, we can have some confidence. The other scripture is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or, in other versions, endurance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be Mature and complete, lacking nothing. That says perfect and complete because that's the King James version. <laughs> that's why some of us like the King James. I like to be perfect, right? So others of us have come into the modern times and realized that, that really means mature and complete, lacking nothing. So here's the basic premise for this. It's good therapy, but it's good, solid, word-centered understanding. Change the way you think and you're going to change the way you feel and the way you act. Right? Change the way you think, and you're going to change the way you feel 
and you're going to change the way you act. What do I mean? If you think people think badly about you at work, maybe, Daniel, you were wondering if somebody in the fifth row was really thinking your worship was all of that. They was, did they catch that flat note? Did they? No, they probably think I just suck, right? And, you're, and, then, and then you start to feel like, oh, my gosh, I really probably didn't do as best as I could. And, uh, and then your tempo starts to slide. I'm picking on you. But you, you, get, you get what I mean, right? Can you appreciate the worship band that you really do have? Come on now. That was awesome worship. But that's what I'm talking about. When you feel like there is just no way for you to get out of bed, you are so heavy laden, you're so depressed, you're so just out of it, you're going to act like it and you're certainly going to feel like it. How do you change that? How do you get up out of bed and take care of yourself and move out into the, into the great beyond, into the world? Here's the way it works. When you have a relationship with Christ, and I know that many of you do. How many of you have a relationship with Christ here today? Come on now. And that means a bunch of you didn't raise your hand, possibly don't. And that's okay. I want to explain what I mean by that. When you have a relationship, not a religious thing, this is like a relationship thing where you realize that God really loves you and you invite him into your life and you say, God, I just, I need you, man. I, I, I can't do this thing. I can't get out of bed. I can't do good anymore. I'm just, ugh. And he says, I love you. I want to come in. I want to do this thing with you. He holds you in their hand like we sang about. And he never leaves you. He just kind of hangs out with you all the time, forgiving you, giving you a redo after redo. His grace is new every morning. He comes into your life. And he does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. What's the job of the Holy Spirit? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's, what's the Holy Spirit's job, primarily? He guides us into all truth. That's his job, to always point back to Jesus. Does he ever talk about himself, the Holy Spirit? Not really. He always points us back to Jesus. That's his job, to keep us in the truth. We know that we're in the truth. We're going to be set free from those things that crawl around in our head, our bad perceptions of, of, of what we think about others and what we think others are thinking about ourselves. It also keeps us from doing crazy things. There's a whole thought process of irrational motivation. It goes something like this. I'm going to lose weight in 2018, and I'm going to become cut. Even at 61, if you could just put a couple lines right here and here and here, give me a nice six-pack thing, I'm going to be awesome. So I'm going to join a gym, I'm going to spend $700 on a treadmill, and I'm going to do this thing. That's great for the first couple of weeks of January. And then it snows, and then I don't really get to the gym on time. And then by the time February comes around, I'm hanging my clothes on the treadmill instead of using it. And eventually, gym membership clears out again. <laughs> Good intentions but not very realistic. The same thing happens when we get involved in different kinds of things. Like one, uh, one guy was really heavily in debt. I mean heavily in debt. The kind of debt that Dame, Dave Ramsey wouldn't even touch. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> really bad. And he goes to this thing that's going to tell him how to get rich and famous real quick, and he spends 600 bucks on their product, which he didn't really have irrationally motivated thinking that we're going to do when we really don't do that. It's a very difficult thing to get out of. 
And I'm sure that all of us have experienced that in some way. And it's like, how do we get out of these crazy things that we get into so that we can serve God, serve others, and, oh, by the way, serve ourselves? Let me just say that as far as Nelson's family is concerned, they need to be concerned with serving God and others right now. Probably not. They need to be circling the wagons. It's a time for collecting themselves and, and, and getting together with themselves and for who to minister to them? The body, right? So there's a time where you do need to receive from other people, for sure. But for the most part, what we're focusing on this morning is how we serve God in an effective kind of way, how we serve others, particularly when we feel that the world is against us or we ourselves are not in great shape. Well, we know that part of doing that is to continue to increase our capacity and to keep our confidence up. By the way, where is that scripture that says, do not throw away your confidence? The writer is talking to people that have gone through really difficult times and are sweating the pace. And he says, don't throw away your confidence. Continue to have faith in the one who is faithful and true. It's in there somewhere. I just can't, I just popped into my head. All right, so the second part of this all has to do with service. I do a lot of word associations in my head. I'm kind of ADD, and I talk really fast, and my current senior pastor really talks fast. Uh, You know, he speaks at like 120 words a minute with gusts up to 200. You know, I mean, he just flies, right? And uh, so when I first got this uh, assignment from Pastor Paul, serving What does that mean, serving others? I thought, well, you could have a service. We're going to be here in service. You can uh, serve, uh, you know, tennis. You can have a serving or a portion of something. You can serve a life sentence as a guest of the state somewhere. You can do a lot of different things about serving. But you know the one thing that got caught in my head as soon as he said it? And don't forget, I have two daughters that came up and around all the Disney music, right? B. Our guest put our service to the test. Wrap a napkin around your neck, Cherie, and we will do the rest, right? All I could think of was Beauty and the Beast. Like, for like two months now, it's been going around in my head. (laughs) Thank God. That's come as close to what I think the Word would have us think about service. So we're going to go right into that at this point. And I know that you guys are in a 90-day, what is it, like a... Bible study kind of walkthrough thing where you're learning about serving God and serving others? Is that what it is? Kind of? And you're in the book of Mark, coincidentally. There is a whole little verse here about service that I'd like to share with you. Um, But let me set it up first. This part of Mark, uh, Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples that it's not always going to be fun and games, that he is going to have to die, that the kingdom of God is going to come, and there's going to be this whole shift. The way his disciples received this is very different than the way he was delivering it, right? They were thinking, oh, yeah, the Jews are going to prevail over the Gentiles. We're going to set up power. We're going to rule. It's going to be all that. And they got it into their heads that they were going to uh, be next to the guy that was going to be the big man. And... Uh, So James and John came to him and said, 
Jesus, we'd like you to do whatever we tell you to do. Oh, really? <laughs> when I read that, I was like, what? That takes a lot of chutzpah, right? <laughs> and I thought, who does that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, we all do that occasionally, right? <laughs> so it's not totally out of character, but it must have been weird for them because it was very out of character to do that with your rabbi. You just didn't have that kind of disrespect. What I began to think about was, though, that they began to get power hungry. They began to get a taste of what it might be like to be the ruling class, to be the ones in power, not to be the underlings, to be the ones that are always told what to do. So what did James and John ask Jesus? Hey, when you establish your kingdom, could one of us sit on your right and one of you and the other one on your left? In other words, what were they saying? We want proximity to power, right? Because that's awesome. We know that if we're close to power, people will perceive us just like they perceive you. And Jesus was like, no. <laughs> no, 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 not even close, guys. You, you, you're not going to be able to drink the cup I, I drink of. You're not going to be baptized like I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is not going to happen. And they had this little conversation about that. And Jesus kind of breaks it down like this. He says, you know what? This is really the way it's got to go. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you really want to be first, you've got to be a slave of all. And it goes like this. Let me read it to you. It says, not so with you. He's talking to James and John and his disciples. Well, first of all, let me just say that all the other ten disciples got wind of this, and there was this big uproar. And so Jesus is addressing all twelve. He's saying, whoa, 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 look. Instead, whoever wants to become great or have power among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's not addressing the kingdom on earth like a democracy or a theocracy. Or, he's talking about servant leadership here. It's a totally different economy than what James and John thought about. He's saying, what you thought of is not the way I want to establish. So when we think of service and serving God and serving others, it's in this context that I think we should land, right? And I'm not sure that Lumiere didn't fall too short of this, but this is what it means. In the Greek, that word servant or diakonos is the word that we get for deacon. And then the word for slave there is doulos, meaning it's... Like, you don't have any entitlement. You don't have any rights. You just belong to somebody. You do whatever they ask you to do. And so really what he's saying is, you don't have a choice about who you're going to serve. Because then he says, you must be a servant, a slave of all. In other words, this isn't just going to be a Jewish thing. This is going to be a Gentile and a Jewish thing. And I think somehow in the evangelical world here, when we think about serving and we think about uh, doing that in the body, we're okay with that, kind of, sort of, because we all kind of look the same. I'm glad to see that we all don't look the same here, that we're pretty diverse. But trust me, in the evangelical world, I've been in this thing about 40 years, there's been a lot of change in the Assemblies of God. Assemblies of God have been very racist. If you look at the birth and the history of the church, you have Church of God in Christ, and you have the Assemblies. What do you think that was? That was a division of... Race, because they couldn't, they couldn't get along. And I'm so glad that now, in this century, we're starting to 
kind of come back together and see that, you know, we got to admit our racism. we gotta, we got to face our biases and our prejudices so that we can get on with serving others. Because what he's saying to his disciples here is that I'm not just asking you to serve people that are just like you. I'm asking you to serve everybody. And that means who? That means getting together with people or connecting with people like maybe on the street, maybe like Nelson was doing. And it's not just for us that come out of that that are to do. It's for anybody that wants to be a servant. When I thought about this and I thought about how I respond to people on the street, to me, it's like they're going to put it up their nose, they're going to put it in their arm, or they're going to drink it. Why do I want to give him anything or her any help in that area? So my wife comes up with a brilliant idea. Well, you don't have to give them money, Brian. You can take them out to lunch. That's even worse. <laughs> Here, let me give you 10 bucks. Do whatever you want. It's learning how to serve people that aren't like us, that I really believe is what God is calling us to in this season of our maturity in him. When I was having breakfast with Liz, and by the way, can I just tell you how much I love this woman? She's awesome, man. She really is. She's, she has stuck by me for close to 40 years, which is more than half of my time I've been alive, which is awesome. It really is. Thank you so much. I love you. Sorry. Oh, look, there goes a squirrel. But in this case, it wasn't a squirrel. It was a wife. Um, can we strike that off the podcast? I'm just kidding. Really, Pastor Paul, you did not hear that part. All right, here we go. Um, a good example of a servant. We were having breakfast one morning, and she goes, oh, listen to this quote. It's so awesome. And she read me a quote from Mother Teresa. The thing about the quote is that it's really a good quote, and I'm going to read it to you in a second. But the thing about it is, is that she, Mother Teresa, ministered in Calcutta, which is where my daughter, Emily, has been for the last seven years. And I know Calcutta because I've been there, and I know it because my daughter refers to it a lot. Let me just set the platform this way. My daughter, Emily, is one of those kind of people that dirt never sticks to. How many of you know what I mean? Like, she doesn't. I mean, she just, she always looks great. She can go to the gym and work out for five hours, and she doesn't sweat. You know what I mean? It's, it's like ridiculous. And she's also a very private individual. She has a great need for personal space. Great need for personal space. All my other kids were really huggy and all that stuff. Not so much Emily. Kind of like. Had to work on her for lots of time to get her to snuggle up. And so where does God call her? But Calcutta, India, which has dirt all over the place. And she still looks pretty good, but I'm sure she comes home grimy and nasty. One quick thing that will stick in your head forever. When I went over there to, to be with her, I decided that I was going to try to view the joy of India, okay? That was my project. So I took a camera with me, and instead of looking at all the poverty and all the dirt and the filth, and we were a lot of times down in the red light district, so not looking at all the crazy, 
horrible abuse that was going on, I was looking through a lens. And you got to understand, people in India, this is definitely a third world country, right? If you got to go, you got to go. And there aren't any, like, public bathrooms. The curb is your public bathroom, right? The wall, or just waiting for the bus. And I'm not saying everybody does this, but because I was always looking through a camera, people started to tease me because I'm like, oh, 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 this is, oh, oh, you know, like, oh, my, it's every, oh, oh, you know. (laughs) And uh, so one of the things that Emily has always talked about is washing feet. And (laughs) I always kind of thought, you know, she's really persnickety and, you know, like, yeah, I I get it, Em. Dirt doesn't stick to you. You're just concerned about everything. So when we're over there to visit her, she's got a friend whose name is Zach. And Zach lived in an apartment that was walking distance from her. The night before, it had rained. And when I say rain, I mean rained so that the water was up to here. I mean, in the garage, out on the street, water was up to here. How do you get from Emily's apartment to Zach's apartment? You walk. So I'm walking through the rain. I got my little uh, camera out. I'm videoing all this, you know, and, and I'm slushing through. And it occurs to me that I'm walking through the very same streets that I have photographed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's amazing how quickly you can walk through all this water. I get to Zach's place, and he's like, oh, Bri, how you doing? Come on in. Can I wash my feet, please? Can I wash my whole body? Right, so (laughs) Kolkata is not a place you go to for cleanliness, and it is certainly not a place you go to for personal space. In that part of the world, personal space is, hi, can I help you? You know, I mean, seriously, like, It's just a whole different experience. So you have Mother Teresa, who is living here. And she's a woman that we all recognize worldwide. She's become a saint in the Catholic Church. She's won the Nobel Peace Prize. She is great. How many of you would agree? She's an awesome woman. She's a great example of serving others that are not like her. She ended up serving Kolkata, India. And she would hang around with, I always thought it was just orphans and lepers. Mm-mm. She, she treated and she, she ministered to people with AIDS and all kinds of different things. She set up feeding programs for thousands of people a day, which, by the way, Emily was uh, carrying out on, on her side of the fence. She was part of a feeding program that fed 10,000 people a day, I think. And she showed me, like, where they do the rice and all that. Crazy, right? Mother Teresa serving. Focus, Brian. Right? She said this. Faith in action is love. Love in action is service. By transforming that faith into loving acts of love, we put ourselves in contact with God himself, with Jesus our Lord. What you have done to these, the least of these, my brethren, you've also done unto me. When God calls us to service, he says to everyone. Everyone, in good times and in hard times, 
we can find the strength, we can find the resources and the capacity, we can find the confidence to do what we need to do when we're in him. Service is found in three places really quick, and we're going to wrap this up. It's found in God's economy, not ours. It wasn't going to be like the kingdom of God on earth. It was going to be servant leadership that God was going to ask us to be a part of. So, oh, and by the way, another little rabbit trail real quick. For those of you, how many of you feel like you are looking for what God is asking you to do? Sometimes it's called the call of God. Sometimes it's just you want God's direction. How many of you? Anybody here wondering? Okay. Maybe a thought that's crossed your mind is if I surrender to God's will, he's going to ask me to do that very thing I don't want to do. How many of you ever thought about that? Right? Even if he does, i.e., go to Calcutta, India, where there's no cleanliness and no personal space, he's going to give you what you're going to need to do it. Because in his economy, he's able to do the impossible. He's able to do what no man can do. He's able to take a, a dip out of his glorious riches and come out and serve you up all that you're going to need. It's when you're found in him that you will receive an increased capacity and the confidence to step out and to follow that call. I have the privilege of expanding my uh, therapy practice here to teenagers. I always said, and no offense, teenagers, but being one and having three of them myself, I guess I can say this. When the hormones kick in, I kick out. I was a children's pastor for a reason. And when they graduated into sixth grade, I was like, here you go. Out the door, you know. And I always struggled. I thought, no, I'm not going to be able to relate to, to teenagers. In fact, the first and only one I had in my, uh, in my internship fell asleep during my session. I let him fall asleep, albeit, but I just wasn't good. So now I have three with a fourth one on the way. Apparently, God is giving me what I need to minister to these people. It's sacrificial. Ugh. We have to land this plane. There's so much to say. Um, it's sacrificial in the sense that it's not about you. It's about them. It's about finding a way to do what you need to do to minister to them. And finally, it's Holy Spirit-based. It's about having relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, can I just say, man, you are missing out on one of the best things on earth. The best thing on earth is to know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, guiding you into all truth. You don't have to worry about being stupid or doing the wrong thing or going the wrong way if you're sensitive to his Holy Spirit because he will open up doors that no man can close and he'll close those same doors that you don't have to worry about trying to force open because you won't be able to do it. And as you follow him, he will then direct you. And can I also say this to those of you that are trying to find the call of God on your life? He can steer a moving car better than he can a parked one. So take your foot, take a step, and start moving. He will stop you. He'll guide you. You're sensitive. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I just invite you right now 
right now, can we just do this? Let's, let's just land the plane and have the worship team come on back up. Let's just do it this way. I'd love to invite you to have that relationship with Jesus. It's really not uh, rocket science. It really isn't. There's no formula for this. What I would do is simply invite you to pray a prayer like I did in Manhattan in 2000, in 1979. I'm a mess. I've done things I'm not proud of. I'm a wreck. I was down to 165. I was, I was in bad shape. And through the Chronicles of Narnia, a beautiful story, Jesus made himself known to me. And he said, Brian, I love you. I forgive you. I accept you just the way you are. And oh, by the way, because of my history, I needed him, God, not to show up as a man and not to show up as a priest or a man of God. I had big issues with people like that. So how did he choose to show up? But as a lion. He showed up as Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. So let me just say this before I pray with you, that what you need, he is able to give you. He's able to show up just the way you need him to show up. I'm not saying you get to dictate, but I am saying that you get to feel safe and you get to feel respected and honored. This is what I prayed. I said, Lord, I can't really believe that you love me, but I guess you do. That's what I feel like you're saying through the story and what I now know was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I said, come into my life. If you honestly can forgive me, do that, please. And, and then just be faithful to me and show yourself. And I'll try to walk after you with all of my heart, my soul, my strength. And I did. And you can too. When you pray that, he does come in. He does forgive you. And you'll start a whole new relationship with him. It's awesome. It's so awesome. If you already have God in your heart, can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you, what's the one thing you're going to walk away with today? What's the one part about serving God and serving others in difficult times that resonated with you? There's one thing, at least one thing, right? That you can say, oh, that's what I need to think about. Is it, is it building capacity? Is it being in that place where you're taking every thought captive and trying to erase the craziness of your brain and replace it with the truth of God that will set you free. Maybe you just need to spend more time with him, more time in his word. And I'm not, I'm not legislating how you do that. I'm just saying that maybe since Jesus is the word, when you read the word, the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance all that you need to know and that Christ will become alive with you because the word of Christ is dwelling richly in you and bubbling up and coming out as direction and truth and vision for you. Maybe it's that you just need to get out of your own self and say, I'm going to make it a point to serve others this week. I'm going to step outside of myself and I'm going to make a point either reach out to the person on the street. I love what you guys do about reaching out to other ministries here. Talk with Pastor Daniel or Pastor Bob or Pastor Paul or somebody to ask how you can become part of the outreach to people that you wouldn't normally be a part of. 
or maybe it's just that you pray for folks. There's got to be something here. Let, let, me, let me land this plane like this. If you want a new relationship with Christ, may I suggest that you stop at the Connect booth. That's the one with the computer on it right outside by the coffee. We have a gift for you. There'll be somebody there that will talk to you and will give you some direction. Not a bad way to begin a journey with a God who is awesome and who really does love you very, very much. Let's do this. Let's, uh, can we end in this song? You call it. You're the worship leader. But what I'd like to do is this, as he gets a song ready. <laughs> I'd like to end like this. I'd like us all to stand. I don't know what your custom is, but if we could just all stand. And as Daniel leads us in this final song, if uh, you could just commit to taking that next step, whatever that next step would be for you. And then afterwards, Daniel will dismiss us, right? Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.